Gabriel from heaven came His wings as drifted snow, his eyes as flame Ah, here said he, thou holy maiden Mary Most highly favored lady Vision Podcast. This is the official podcast for St. Joan of Arc Parish in Lyle, Illinois. Uh, we're a parish located about 30 miles west of Chicago, and we have a wonderful K-8 through school. Uh, we'll give the uh, website of our school and um, parish after at the end of the podcast. But um, we have a very kind of history, a strong history of in the Benedictine tradition and the rule of St. Benedict. And I'm going to have our pastor, uh, Father Gabriel Baltus, who is a Benedictine, talked a little bit about what that means for our parish. Well, the parish was founded in 1924 by the Benedictine monks of St. Procopius Abbey. They came to Lyle from St. Vincent Arch Abbey, and they came here to work with the Czech immigrants. And frequently when Benedictine monasteries get established, they also established, at least at that time in history, schools so that the faith could be preserved and passed on, particularly to certain ethnic groups, like in this case, the people uh, from Czechoslovakia and uh, Eastern Europe. So after the parish was founded, it was given the patron of St. Joan of Arc, who was canonized in 1920. And then uh, shortly after the parish was founded, the sisters, the Benedictine sisters, uh, from Sacred Heart Monastery founded the, the school here, and that's been the legacy that they've left us and it continues to this day. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the things that really drew me to this parish was that Benedict tradition of, uh, of uh, work and pray. Um, and so it kind of, you know, sets forth kind of the, the, the mission of our, of our podcast here is to bring that uh, love of the Benedict tradition, the love of Christ uh, to those who are um, out there in the internet. Um, and so if you've checked out our podcast in the past, um, you've probably, or maybe you're a current subscriber, you've probably only seen uh, Father Gabriel's past homilies in our episode list. But uh, we're going to try something different um, in this current episode. And um, this will be hopefully the first of hopefully many um, episodes where we're going to have kind of a reflection-themed podcast where Father Gabriel and I are going to discuss and reflect on an un- upcoming uh, Catholic feast or liturgical event. Um, but before we get into what we're going to talk about today, why don't we first start by uh, having our pastor, Father Gabriel, introduce himself. Well, again, I'm Father Gabriel from St. Procopius Abbey. Uh, I entered the Abbey in 1982 and then was ordained a priest in 1991. I've been pastor here for 14 years. And my special area of interest has always been in the sacred liturgy. So doing these podcasts on liturgical feasts and events is something that has piqued my interest as well. Thank you, Father Gabriel. And I, my name is Alex Gervasio, and I'm the youth minister, and I work with young adults in the young adult ministry. I've been here for almost 10 years now, and I have a wife and two wonderful children in the school. And um, as we were thinking about what, how we wanted to start this kind of reflection-themed podcast, we thought that it'd be great that we have this upcoming feast, the Feast of Denunciation, coming up. And so that's... Um, March 25th. And so, Father Gabriel, uh, would you want to talk a little bit about 
what is this Feast of the Incarnation that's coming up, March 25th? It's one of those feasts where I think some of us have heard, maybe some of us ha haven't, but I think it's a really kind of underrated feast um, that people sometimes forget about. Well, I think you're right, Alex. Most often people think of the Annunciation as the first joyful mystery, which it is. But uh, we have to understand that the, the feast itself is, takes its name from the event, the announcing. The Annunciation means to announce something. And it commemorates that event in Luke's Gospel where the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she's been chosen by God for a unique and privileged role in the history of the world, in the history of salvation, that is to be the mother of the Savior, the mother of the Messiah. Now, while Mary features prominently in that story, officially the Annunciation is called a Feast of the Lord because it marks his conception in the womb of Mary. And that's why the Annunciation always occurs on March 25th. It's not one of those movable feasts like Easter that can go on this date or that date. It always has to be then because Christmas is always nine months after, December mm. 25th. Makes sense. <laughs> well, the Feast of the Lord's Nativity, Christmas, didn't come into the calendar till the 4th century. And we know... We don't know exactly when Jesus was born, probably in the springtime, because the sheep were out grazing. But there are several theories as to why December 25th was chosen. And the most popular of those theories is that the Christians took over an already existing pagan feast of the unconquerable sun or the sol invictus. And they did that to assert that the true sun, the true light of the world, was Jesus Christ. And they could do that at that time because after 313, Christianity was, was legalized. So then once December 25th was established as the day on which Jesus was born, you just count back nine months and you come to the day he was conceived. The Feast of the Annunciation, however, never really got into the calendar of Rome until about the seventh century and originally its focus was on Christ. Later in the Middle Ages, the focus shifted to Mary because devotion to Mary was so very popular. But then when the calendar of the church was revised after the Second Vatican Council, the focus went again back to the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming mm. flesh in the womb of Mary. That's really interesting, Father. Um, so when we're looking for the Annunciation, where would we find it described, like in Scripture? Well, that's good, too, and, and also very interesting. It's only found in the Gospel of Luke. Hmm, that's interesting. What, why uh, only Luke of the four Gospels? Well, probably for several reasons. First, to remember that only Matthew and Luke have accounts of what we call the infancy narratives of Jesus and Luke, above all the evangelists, is very sensitive to including the women who were very active in the ministry of Jesus. He's very sensitive to them. Mm. He's also writing for a mixed community of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Because remember, uh, Christianity was a Jewish sect at first. So the earliest Christians were Jews. And then later, Gentiles 
who were attracted to that message of Jesus wanted to be in this religious tradition as well. So here you had two groups of Christians, those who knew the Old Testament very well because they were steeped in it as Jews, and the Gentiles who knew little or nothing about that. So what Luke is trying to do is, on the one hand, assure the Jewish Christians that the faith of Israel has not been dismissed, that it's not been supplanted, that it's still very, very important because that's where the roots of Christianity came from. So throughout the gospel, especially in those early chapters, Luke includes people who are very strong, sturdy, faith-filled characters who were steeped in the tradition of Israel. So they would typify Old Testament persons. So you have like Elizabeth, Zechariah, Joseph, the shepherds, Mary. And then he weaves into these accounts a number of Old Testament themes, such as barrenness, which we'll talk about in a moment. So by doing this, he affirms the Jewish faith. At the same time, for the Gentile Christians who knew little about Israel's faith, now they do. Hmm. So they're learning about where Christianity emerged from, the tree, the root, and they can appropriate it to themselves as well and see that this is an, uh, an established, credible faith that uh, has nurtured people for centuries. Um, do you think now, Father, maybe we, could, we should look at the passage itself and kind of take a look at what did Luke say to his community about this uh, Feast of the Annunciation? I think this is the, the fitting time to do it. And it's one of those gospel passages that no matter how many times I have read it mm -hmm. publicly in a liturgical context or meditate on it privately, I always find such, a, such an enriching experience in, in meditating on it. So it's found in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And I just might also mention that my own patron, Gabriel. Yes is also very prominent in this story as well. So Luke begins. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a town of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming to her, he said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at what was said and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. And he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, How can this be, 
since I have no relations with a man. And the angel said to her in reply, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Yeah, I mean, just as you're saying, I mean, that is just the beauty of Scripture. You know, every time you, you hear it, um, there's just so many different levels and meanings uh, that hit you, and you're, especially at different seasons of your life. And so there's so many things in there, Father Gabriel, to really kind of unpack and, and really reflect on. Are, some, are there some things that you, you've been thinking about as we've been planning this that you want to kind of help us reflect on and unpack to understand this feast in a more beautiful way? I, I do, and I, I think one of the things we should know is the historical context for the event. Mm. And then we can look um, more closely at some of the images or even words in the passage itself. So the Annunciation occurs in first century Palestine. Rome has conquered most of the known world including Jerusalem and Palestine. The Roman Empire was strong, oppressive, and constantly on alert for any sects or movements that threatened its sovereignty. The Roman Emperor was looked upon as a god. He was called the, the Kurios. That's Greek. We get the word Kyrie from there. Mm. It means Lord. So when we say Kyrie eleison in the Mass, mm. we're saying, Lord, have mercy. Mm -hmm. In the ancient world, that was an expression used when the emperor was carried through the city. Oh, okay. And people looked at him sitting on his chair, flanked by torches and all sorts of uh, soldiers, and they cried out, Kyrie eleison, have mercy on us, Lord. Hmm. So... The emperor as a god was to be worshipped, and this is where the Jews and the people of Israel had such a, a repulsion because they were monotheists for one thing. They believed in only one god, whereas Rome, the Roman emperor and empire, I should say, had many gods and goddesses. And, and they guarded that very carefully. Rome. Any type of movement or any any sense that there could be a coup or anything that posed a threat was very quickly stamped out. However, as long as people followed the laws, paid their taxes, and didn't cause any disturbance, it was you know, live and let live. And they allowed the Jews to have their temple even though they believed in only one God. And things were peaceful for a while. But eventually, 
the, the Jewish people felt more and more oppressed by heavy taxes and kind of the cruelty of Rome mm. and will eventually, you know, revolt uh, to, to that sort of treatment. But at this time, even though it was very sensitive and delicate, things were, there was a certain amount of calm. Mm-hmm. So, as far as the people go, Mary was a Jewish girl, probably 13 or 14. That young, wow. Yeah, typical age for a girl to get betrothed. And remember, people didn't live long either. Right. Frequently, uh, women died in childbirth. Hmm. That was the singular most dangerous thing any woman could do, Mm -hmm. to have a baby. And she was engaged or betrothed to a a man named Joseph, who was called the son of a carpenter. So he's a builder of some kind. And to be betrothed meant that you were definitely to be married to this particular person, although you didn't live together at that point. The marriage ceremony hadn't happened yet. Hmm. And that's why when the angel tells Mary that she's been chosen to give birth, Mary's question is, how can that be? I don't know a man. And no, in this context, knowledge meant the knowledge was sexual relations. Mm-hmm. So as we you know, kind of reflect on... Uh, the the passage and some of the words that they're there to unpack. Um, what are some of the words that I mean that, that really struck you or that really strikes you as you as you look at this passage? Well, I think the first thing we we have to grasp is the very insignificance, if you will, of Mary. She's a peasant. Hmm. You know, they have to tell you where this is going Um, a town of Galilee called Nazareth the virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David so they have to identify the place because it's not some place that people would readily know so I mean like yeah I mean Nazareth was really kind of a ho-dunk backwater town right I mean they had to kind of explain this is Nazareth in Galilee right I think Luke usually when he talks about other regions he just says the region he doesn't have to define where it's at right it'd be like saying Chicago, Illinois. You don't have to say Illinois. Everybody knows where Chicago is. Right, right. But when you say Sandusky, you have to say Sandusky, Ohio. Right. Unless you say where Cedar Point is. Yeah, yeah. So here's this insignificant, young, 13, 14-year-old peasant girl in a backwater town. And so... All of a sudden, an angel appears. Mm. Now... Anytime an angel appears in scripture, the person to whom the spirit appears is terrified because angels do that. Yeah, I would be. (laughs) Yeah, they're not the cute little cupids that we see on Valentine's Day. (laughs) They're terrifying beings from the other world. Mm. And they're this numinous figure that usually carries a message that's very challenging or a task to be undertaken that will be very challenging, in this case, for Mary. Mm -hmm. So she's naturally frightened when she sees this. And he calls her favored one, or full of grace. Mm, Like the Hail Mary prayer. Exactly. Okay. And that's, that's a term rich in meaning, too, because to be favored or to be filled with grace 
meant you know to be filled with with God's power with God's life so she has a very privileged uh, role here out of all human beings she has been favored chosen to do something the likes of which no one else has ever done before or ever will mm. hence one of the first things the angel says is don't be afraid mm-hmm. and that's a theme that we can address or talk more on later. Yeah. Another word that gets repeated here three times, I believe, is the word behold. We find that in Luke and in Matthew, it's a a Greek word, and it, it has a very particular meaning. It means, like, be alert, heads up. Hmm. When you hear behold, the person who's hearing it is supposed to like snap out of it, you know, heads up, because something unique is about to happen huh. and you don't want to miss it. So when the angel appears to the shepherd, behold, or when the angel appears to the magi, behold, or the, when the magi see the star, behold. So all throughout this passage, we hear, behold, Elizabeth, your relative has conceived. Behold, you will conceive. Behold, you know, behold, 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 meaning wake up. Look, something is out of the ordinary here, and it's it's incredible. Right, kind of like you know, listening. You know, the the idea of like hearing and listening. You know, how many times I think does my wife say, you know, you know, Alex, did you hear me? Versus, you know, yeah, I heard you. Yeah, I heard you. Or versus, you know, her saying, Alex, are you listening to me? Right. You can hear someone, or you can hear something but not necessarily be listening to it. And I think when you say this, behold, it's the, this idea of not just hearing words, but there's something, there's an action, there's a, a deeper um, consequence for the person hearing those words that's about to take effect. Absolutely. Yeah. To be on high alert, get your senses peaked mm-hmm. for something that God is about to do. And it's always good. Right. It's always something that benefits the human race yeah so when he announces then what God has planned and it's important to realize that while God has chosen Mary she she has free will so she can choose not to do this her one question is how how is this going to happen as I mentioned earlier And the angel assures her that God is going to make this happen. He's going to overshadow her. Mm. And that's a rich concept from the Old Testament. It goes back to when they dedicated the temple in Jerusalem and the cloud of God descended. It was called the kabod, the heaviness of God, and it overshadowed the temple. Mm. And they knew that God was present. It was a powerful gravitas. And so that's what's going to happen to Mary. The power of God is going to overshadow her, overcome her with grace. And this miracle is going to happen because because God can do it. Mm -hmm. And as a liturgical aside to this, a number of the early church fathers when they were talking about the Eucharist and how the bread and the wine 
are transformed into the body and blood of Christ, they'll liken that to what happened to Mary. They'll say the Holy Spirit hovered over the bread and the wine as it hovered over Mary, overshadowing, hmm. you know, making these elements to be what she carried in her womb. So transformed in the, to the very presence of Christ. Hmm. Just in case Mary needed some assurance that miracles happen, the angel says, go see your cousin. Go see Elizabeth. Yeah, older person. And now she's barren, mm-hmm. was, and now is going to also have a child. Mm-hmm. So go talk to her. See what God has done in her life already. Mm. If you need some assurance about miracles, because your own kin uh, can assure you of that. Right. Yeah, that's a way of doing that, right? When he always meets us exactly where we're, where we're at. Um, he gives us what we need um, to really um, believe in him and follow him. And so um, it's interesting you said, you know, barren, right? Isn't there, that's kind of a theme, right, in the Bible, right? Isn't there kind of this theme of, of barren women that kind of uh, uh, cycles through the different stories of Scripture? Oh, clearly. In fact, we could say that the whole faith of Israel began in a context of barrenness. Hmm. How so? Abraham and Sarah. Oh, yeah. Abraham, right. a father in faith. Right. And he was, what, a hundred and some years old? Mm-hmm. And Sarah couldn't conceive, and he had a, a concubine, Hagar. And then eventually God fulfilled a promise or brought life to Sarah. It's important to understand barrenness, um, because it certainly is much more than a biological condition, hmm. which has been and still is uh, a, a situation of great pain and a source of of uh, discontent, obviously, for people. Yeah. But in the Old Testament, it was also seen as a punishment that God inflicted that, or that it was because of something your ancestors did. So it was it was a curse. And to be barren meant you couldn't have children. Obviously, your, your family line couldn't continue. But the image of barrenness was also applied to Israel as a nation at times. Hmm. So it gave the idea of being without any promise. Hmm. There was no potency for life. If the individual or the country was barren, it was as good as dead. There was no future for it. So when we look at figures in the Bible, we have Abraham and Sarah, Hannah and Elkanah. Uh, they, she has the, the child Samuel. Mm. In the New Testament, there's Zachary or Zechariah and Elizabeth. Mm. They're also old. And they have John the Baptist. Right. Now, Mary and Joseph are not old, nor is Mary barren in a physical sense she's barren because she's not married Mm -hmm. so there's no potency for her pregnancy because she and Joseph have not come together yet Mm -hmm. in in matrimony so that's how she fits into these uh, women this line of barrenness 
And wherever you see that in the scriptures, these contexts where there's no future, no potency for life, it's precisely there that God goes to do his best work. Yeah. So God intervenes in situations of death. Mm -hmm. So then after the angel advises her or suggests that she go visit Elizabeth, it's time for Mary to give her assent. What's her answer? Mm -hmm. And there's some great writings about this. St. Bernard of Clairvaux in the 11th century wrote a powerful sermon where he portrays the angels hovering over the house where Mary is and they're kind of coaching her. Mm -hmm. They're telling her, come on, give your answer. What are you waiting for? The human race needs your let it be so that salvation can occur. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. It's kind of a playful scenario that he writes there. But in a pure and utterly faith-filled response, Mary says, behold. So it's like, watch, I will do this. Yeah. See what happens in the future. Behold, I am the handmaid, I'm the servant of the Lord. May this happen as you have described. May it yeah. be done to me according to your word. Yeah. And then, poof, the angel's no longer needed. <laughs> he comes. See, that's what um, one author, scripture scholar said once about angels. They come into your life just enough to stir things up hmm. and make a, a mess for you, and then they leave. <laughs> They come in, they got her pregnant, and then they don't stay for the birth. <laughs> but the artwork that has been done over the centuries mm, yes. on the Annunciation has just been phenomenal, just incredible. In icons, in sculpture, in frescoes, mosaics. And there are certain common themes or characteristics in these Mary is usually seated. Sometimes she's holding a book, presumably the scriptures. Hmm. Sometimes there's a spool of yarn nearby or a cat. So she's doing domestic ordinary chores, weaving a sweater or tending her books. And then it's in that ordinary moment that the angel bursts in. Mm -hmm. And some of the artwork has um, scenes of nature, uh, windows that show both the older uh, cycle of the feasts and the new. It's just, um, they're very theological. And I've often thought that would make a nice meditation. Mm -hmm. If we believe that the Annunciation didn't happen just once, I mean, obviously once to this extent, but if we believe that God comes to us mm. on somewhat of a regular basis, announcing something he wants us to do, whether the angel is terrifying or, or ordinary, we might meditate on, what will I be doing mm. when the angel comes? You know, Mary was reading or Mary was knitting. What kind of an ordinary moment might I, might I be engaged in when suddenly, out of nowhere, without warning, I'm asked to do something 
It's incredible. Hmm. For what it's worth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've talked a lot here. Alex, what do you think this feast could mean for us today in uh, the 21st century? Yeah, well, I think, you know, um, as I was looking and reflecting on this passage before um, we started recording this this uh, podcast, I think the big phrase that really hit me as I was as I was reflecting on it is that that phrase, "Do not be afraid" or "Do not fear." Um, I've been uh, I was told once that uh, that I, that idea "Do not be afraid" uh, was uh, in the Bible 365 times, uh, one for every day of the year. Um, and uh, I decided to research that to see if that was true. Um, it turns out that is actually just a myth, but it is in there a lot. Uh, there was a scripture scholar that went through and looked through um, various passages of do not be afraid, uh, of fear, of anxiety. Um, every kind of thing as close to fear and afraid as he could find. And he found a lot. He found about, you know, about 150, 160 verses. Um, you know, and it starts from the very beginning when, when God said, to, as you said, Abraham, you know, do not be afraid. I'm going to make you, you know, uh, your descendants a great nation. And it goes all the way to the end in Revelation, right, where, where God says, do not be afraid, for I am the first and the last. And so we do see it a lot. And so um, as I was looking at the different passages, one thing that I saw that never really hit me before um, that I thought was interesting was the passage on Hagar uh, from the book of Genesis. And so just a little review, if you guys remember in the, uh, in the Bible, that Hagar was a servant to uh, Abraham and Sarah. And she was actually uh, made to be a concubine uh, for Abraham because I guess maybe Abraham and Sarah, they had been promised uh, their, that their descendants would be uh, a great nation. Uh, maybe at some point, I guess, there was a little bit of doubt on Sarah's mind, so uh, entered Hagar um, to uh, maybe bring that heir. And so as soon as it happens, Sarah starts to regret it, and he treats her, she treats her horribly. You know, just, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind, just totally, you know, always being kind of sending and, and just being on her all the time, to the point where she uh, runs away into the desert. And she first encounters God. And God says, you know, um, Hagar, I'm going to give you uh, a child. And his name is going to be Ishmael, uh, which means God hears or God listens. And then he calls her back. Um, and what really struck me was the second time, so this happens twice, where um, after Sarah has Isaac, she suddenly realized we don't need Hagar here anymore. So she, instead of Hagar running away, Sarah sends her off into the desert with her child, you know. And as I was looking at this, she's off in the desert, doesn't know what to do. Um, she's holding her baby Ishmael in, in, the ar in her arms, and she's, she's just crying. Just thinking, you know, I, I don't know what to do. My child and me will die. And then, just as in the Annunciation, an angel appears and says, Hagar... Do not be afraid. And I just thought it was interesting. The more and more I looked at these two passages, it seemed like that, that narrative of Hagar was kind of almost like an inverse of, of this Annunciation passage. That um, in one sense you have two women 
uh, one are both handmaids, where you know Hagar was a handmaid or a servant uh, to uh, Abraham and Sarah. And then at the end of the Annunciation, you have Mary, who is the handmaid of the Lord. The difference is, is that Hagar didn't have a choice. She was forced. And then in Mary's account, she chose herself to be a handmaid of the Lord. Um, another sense is um, at, the, at the end of the passage in chapter 21, after she encounters this angel, uh, she calls God El Roy, you know, which means uh, God sees. And from what I was reading, it's kind of like this mutual seeing of, of God seeing her, but her also seeing God. And on the other hand, it's um, now Mary not only seeing God, but now encountering God in Jesus with all of her senses. Because literally, she is taking God into her very own body. I love that story, too, about Abraham and, and Hagar. And what always struck me is that is once you know, Hagar is dismissed and sent off into the desert, you know, she has this little wine sk or skin of water, and, mm -hmm. and then that is used up, and her son is crying, and she's crying, and she remember she puts him by a tree because she can't bear mm -hmm. to watch him die. And it says that the child is there crying, and then the angel comes. Yeah. The angel who is, is the messenger of God. Where there's human sorrow and pain, God comes. Yes. And at the time of Mary and Joseph, the tears of the nation of Israel, weeping because of the oppression that they endured, the suffering, God heard their cry and then sent the Savior. Yeah. And it's in that midst, you know, that you hear those words, do not be afraid. And, and I was struck again uh, by one of my most favorite passages from the, letter of first, uh, from the first letter of John, uh, where it talks about that there is no fear in love, that perfect love casts out all fear. And so with Mary, just the idea of her being able to say yes to God and not being afraid was through that divine love that she encounters in God and now is going to give God um, literally it through um, caring for and giving birth uh, to the incarnation our, to our Lord. Um, and it's interesting because as this, you know, this Feast of the Annunciation, um, it really is kind of the beginning of the Feast of the Incarnation. I know the, the Christmas uh, Solemnity is really the Feast of the Incarnation, but this is really the beginning, that God is entering into our world. And it really struck me just how God allowed the whole plan of salvation, right, the whole, his whole plan in saving the world hinged on the response of this 13-year-old peasant girl, mm -hmm. as we said, from a backwater town. Mm -hmm. it, hinged, it hinged on that. And just kind of reflecting on that and how this affects, you know, I think our world today and how this can speak to us today is that God, um, he doesn't need us, but he, he needs us in a certain sense to cooperate with the salvific work that he's doing. Um, that he designed us to be part of that work. Just as, you know, there's a trinity of God, of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are a community of love, that we are called into that same community of love and to respond to it, 
to give ourselves over to it. And to be co-creators right. with God. Yeah. yeah. Participants in, in salvation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the earliest memories I have uh, of that idea was when, uh, I'm going to give my age here a little bit, uh, but I was probably, what, eight or nine when um, Pope John Paul II uh, became uh, the first non-Italian pope uh, for the church in 400 years. Now, I remember that first address, you know, one of his, the first words he said was, do not be afraid. And just how that, as a, as a you know, eight-year-old or nine-year-old Alex, it just really resonated to me. Um, do not be afraid. And he says here specifically, he says, do not be afraid. Open wide the doors for Christ. To his saving power, open the boundaries of states, economic, and political systems the vast fields of culture, civilization, and development. And I think, you know, that's a big theme today. I mean, how often do we see, do I see teens and young adults um, in doubt, and that doubt eventually turns to despair? And I think um, the word for me to reflect on today is do not be afraid, that God is encountering us in love and giving us that strength. Um, you know, I think there's so many things going on in this world. We've got, um, obviously, the things going on with Russia and the Ukraine. We've got uh, economic things. We have racial injustice. We have all these things that are going through. And it's easy, I think, for people to despair. But if we, like Mary, trust in God and his love and know that in the end, he wins. But in order for that to happen, we have to give our assent to um, be part of that salvific process. We just can't be bystanders. We have to be participants on the field. You're right. I believe so, too. It's a privilege to mm-hmm. be a participant, and it's not always easy. Right. But I also so wholeheartedly agree with you about fear. I, I believe that's the greatest enemy. Yes. Um, you, when you think of the reason we have wars and riots and so many crimes and why so many good things aren't done, it's because people are afraid. And when you think about it, had Mary been afraid Mm -hmm. and said no to the angel out of fear, God would not have been born. Right. God was born because Mary chose to believe and to allow that faith to bolster her and dispel her fear. Yeah, and I think you know the problem is is that sometimes people allow that fear to just grip them and um, kind of immobilize them into doing. Uh, they they they're afraid of what they might disappoint God maybe sometimes, or they they're afraid they're not going to know what to do. Um, but God says, you know, I think that says to Mary that you know my love is there. You know, my love will cast out all that fear if you just accept it into your heart. So, you know, Father Gabriel, as, as we kind of start, you know, going from reflection to putting this into life, like how can we make this Annunciation, this Feast of Annunciation, more present in our life, more, more constant in, in how we live our life on a day-to-day basis? Well, I, I think one way to do it is through prayer. Mm. You know, the, the devotion to the rosary yeah. is... is 
a great blessing in our faith and a time-honored devotion. So is the praying of the Angelus, which is prayed traditionally at six in the morning, noon, and six in the evening. And that's a prayer that takes so many of its lines, its statements right from this account from Luke. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So that prayer is really focusing on the incarnation and was done in villages where monks in their monasteries were praying at those times. And the Angelus was a miniature divine office mm. for people to pray in the fields and in their workplaces, which is why the bells would ring uh, in a certain way. And we'll, we'll hear that when we get our new bells yes. here at St. Joan of Arc in a few weeks. And the Angelus will ring at least at noon and six in the evening. I don't know if the neighbors want us ringing them at six in the morning, but <laughs> yeah. um, the Abbey, the St. Procopius Abbey, our bells ring at those times. Mm. So, uh, so that's one way, through prayer. And then I, I think as you've been emphasizing so eloquently, uh, trying to dismiss those things that cause us fear. Yeah. You know, that... that so often we become afraid of things or events that really don't happen or won't happen. And we, we create this fear mm -hmm. and allow it to um, take hold. We allow the fear to overshadow us yeah. instead of God. But something else to call people's attention to is a service we're going to have here at St. Joan of Arc on Friday, March 25th, on the Feast of the Annunciation. It'll be a series of readings, some from the Bible, some from spiritual authors, some songs, hymns that everyone will sing together, some meditations that will focus on the meaning of the, in, of the incarnation as it unfolded from the Annunciation. So we invite you all to that. The local singer, Gavin Coyle, will be a guest musician at that, and he always does a lovely job as he plays the guitar and leads singing and uh, offers some meditations of his own. So that'll be at 7 o'clock in the church, mm. and we invite everyone to attend. Absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, as, as we start wrapping things up here, you know, one of the things that I think is like you were saying that, that really allows us to just sit in that fear is when we're by ourselves. You know, and I think one of the answers to that is stop being by yourself, to come into community. I think really when you come into community, it helps you get over that fear. And, you know, I know a lot of people who, you know, went to church regularly and because of COVID, you know, a lot of things happened to COVID, they stopped coming to Mass. Um, and they start losing that community, you know, and, and part of that is fear, you know. And maybe there's some of you out there who have stopped going to Mass because of COVID or uh, maybe you stopped going to Mass even before that. This is just a great way to just come back into community in an environment where uh, we'll celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation, we'll hear amazing music by um, Gavin Coyle and just kind of start and put your foot, you know, your, your, your foot in the waters again. Um, we're not here to judge anyone. We're just here to welcome and to love because our community is not the same it's not complete unless you're there. And so we, Father Gabe and I really invite, you know, all those listening, 
you know, come be part of our community. You can check out our more about St. Joan of Arc Church on our website, www.sjalisle.org. And you can see the list of all of our events, learn more about our school, and learn more about our community. Uh, so we're going to start wrapping things up. Hopefully, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast yet, please uh, hit the subscribe button on whatever uh, app you use. Um, what we're going to do is also put on the site you'll see in the episode list, we're going to put an email for you to just send any thoughts or questions about this podcast. And our next podcast uh, will answer uh, and put some of those questions on. So, um, Father Gabriel, have any last words before we end up? No, just to encourage, uh, reiterate, echo what you said. And uh, I think what you noted was, was very true. When we're alone, mm-hmm. there's such a danger that fear can overwhelm us. Our imaginations start to go directions that you shouldn't go, that we wouldn't want them to go. And being with other people helps to rein that in, give perspective, and and to assure us that we aren't alone. We don't have to be afraid. We have other people around us who care and who are willing to walk with us on this journey. Absolutely. To conclude, should we say the Hail Mary together? That's a great idea, Father. All of you join us. Please. In the name of the Father, and of the, the Son, Son, and of the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Hail, Hail Mary, full, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And may Almighty God bless us, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May he descend upon us, overshadow us, give us courage, and bring us to peace. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. And thank you all for listening. Uh, keep looking at our, at our podcast episode list for more episodes. And we'll talk to you and see you soon in the future.